Island. Welcome to Him for Her Radio, women's hot topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Should Burry. Hey, ladies. You know, this song is about say what you want to say. And we're talking about words today. And I know that this is a comment that we have had often with other women. Words. Women like to talk. You know, half the time I use all my words. And, you know, my husband uses all his words. And by the time I get to him, he's like exhausted and just listening to me. So I am so excited about today. Today we have a hot topic. And you know what the title is called? It's called, Did I Just Say That? Own Your Words. And I did not come up with that. You know who coined that phrase? Was not <laughs> was not me. It was my favorite pastor of all time, my own pastor, Pastor Joel Johnson with Westwood Community Church. Thank you for coming on board, Joel. Chug, it's terrific to be with you. And yeah, we just did this little series called Did I Just Say That? The idea that things flow out of our mouth that sometimes we wish we could put back and it's too late to put them back. But we need to be reminded in this day as much as any other day that we need to own our words because <laughs> words are powerful. They really matter. You know, ladies, I have never had that problem. You can ask my husband. All my words are all well thoughtful. You know, I mean, I don't do anything out of the box. I don't have any knee jerk reactions. But if you do, you got to listen to this show because it's really going to be a good one. Um, Him for her radio women's hot topics. My name is Sugbury, and this is sponsored by Him for her ministries. I want you to look us up, H-I-M, numeral four, H-E-R dot org, online. Click the Donate Now. This is a, a sponsored show. So I'm so thankful that you guys have come on, and I've got some of your questions here, and I can't wait to ask Pastor Joel. Now, Joel has been my pastor. I think we've been at Westwood Church for over 22 years. Um, he is a thoughtful, humble man. He is so busy. I'm so blessed that he took time to come and share with us his views and his thoughts. And ladies, if you go to Westwood Church and you already heard this message, perhaps you got to hang on because we got some new questions that we're going to ask him as well. So Joel, I want to get right to it. You belong to a beautiful family of women. Could you tell us a little bit about the ladies in your life? Yeah, there's a bit of a journey in why I think this subject, we're really going to look at conflict and how we manage conflict in biblical ways today. But it stems out of family so much. I grew up in a matriarchal system, a grandmother who lived to 103, and she was a woman of faith. But her daughter, my mother, Mm -hmm. in her early years was a woman of faith, but walked away from faith. And... Um, unfortunately, um, that created some some distance between God and those familiar relationships that are most important. She married my dad, and uh, they had seven children. Matter of fact, they had seven children by the time she was 29. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, J. Joel, Joss, and Jody, Jill, JC, and Josh, five girls, you gotta two boys. You've got to say that Yeah, J. Joel, Joss, and Jody, Jill, JC, and Josh, five Js. Oh, my J's. goodness. And uh, we're all very close, but really grew up in a single home. My parents were divorced when I was 10 years of age. And in fact, I can remember my father was in the bar restaurant business. And uh, we are we grew up in South Minneapolis off mm-hmm. of East Lake Street. He had a business there called Pancho Villas Restaurant. He mm. had other places as well, Merrimax Bar, other places in the Twin Cities. But we lived close to um, the Pancho Villas Restaurant. And we had lunch one day after lunch. We got into the car And my mom drove us to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's where her parents lived and my dad's parents lived. 
We had no explanation. We just left and we didn't come back. Wow. Yeah. It, there's some trauma, I think, associated with that. You don't get to say goodbye to your friends. They were having marital difficulty, a lot of conflict. But in those days, you didn't talk a lot about it. In mm-hmm. fact, eventually they would be divorced, but I wouldn't learn about the divorce form- formally for some time to come. Mm. And uh, I was the only kid in my class who came from a divorce home. So the stigma in the early 60s around divorce was pretty high. Mm-hmm. And the subject matter that we speak about really comes out of that arena where there was conflict all the time in our family system and never knowing quite how to get resolved to it. And so when I eventually came to faith, I would learn a whole new skill set. You know, we all are given tool belts, and God has given us a tool belt. Mm -hmm. And one of those tools is how we use our words, how we manage conflict. And I've had the privilege to see now my family, five of my sisters, um, come to faith in Christ. I've been able to see my mother come to faith in Christ. I baptized her at Westwood about um, eight years ago or so. I don't think there's a greater privilege in life than for a son to baptize his own mother. Wow. And to hear um, her speak of her faith. And often she'll say, I wish I could go back and redo it all. And I say, you know, Mom, God's met you right where you are today. Mm -hmm. Focus on his presence today, his provision for your life and all that you need. And he'll provide for you. Look today and into the future. And that's been a good encouragement. We have a deep bond of affection and love with my mother, all seven kids. Now you have grandchildren too. Three girls again. They're <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> you know, I'm living vicariously through your posts that your wife puts on. Oh, really? Yeah. On Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm a grandma wannabe. But um, you're just blessed with not only that, then you have a daughter as well. I have two daughters, Two daughters, actually. that's right. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, two daughters. Mm-hmm. So you're just flanked on all sides with estrogen, Joel. Yes. Really, that's really, that's what it's all about. I grew up with it, and I, I handle it fairly well, actually. Yeah, I can tell that you do. I can tell. I think it would train you for the congregation to have patience and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wisdom. Yeah. Um, so on this topic, did I just say that? Own your words. Um, You talked a little bit about the D's. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this has really come through a lot of years of ministry, almost 40 for me now, and a lot of connection with people and conflict, marriages in conflict. And I began to see a pattern. So I call it the five D's. I pay attention to them because it helps me know where to enter into Mm -hmm. conversations or conflict with people that um, conflict doesn't just, you know, come up. Um, overnight, usually it simmers over time. It usually mm. starts with disappointment. So I use this analogy of a of a highway. If you're driving down the road and you have um, some on ramps and off ramps, I think that's uh, likened to this issue of conflict that we have. It starts with distant or with this disappointment. We have this feeling of disappointment that comes over us. Usually, disappointment is common enough. You're not always sure that you should say anything about mm-hmm. it, and. Most of the time you ought not. But if you don't deal with a disappointment that needs to be dealt with, it begins to grow with other disappointments. And there's a cumulative effect of that that leads to discouragement. Now your emotional well-being is being impacted. Mm. But oftentimes we don't know how to deal with it. We don't have that tool in the tool chest to know how to step into it. So we get off on another ramp and we build that struggle of intimacy and connection that we want to have Mm -hmm. because of the distance that we've gone. And that's the third D is that if you don't deal with that disappointment and discouragement over time, that cumulative effect of those two begin to create distance. There's a gap between us and it gets harder to go back and deal with them. And then it leads to the fourth D, which um, is to come into that journey and find yourself in a place where you're detaching from another person. And when you detach from somebody 
that distance gets so far you're not sure even if you want to go back and mm-hmm. make it right, which mm-hmm. leads to the fifth V, which is divorce. And I've seen that pattern over and over again. If we can capture and engage people at that point of disappointment and discouragement, it's much easier to get on the solution side of conflict when it arises. Once it starts getting into distance, it gets harder. And once it gets to detachment, mm-hmm. boy, you just need God to show up in big ways because mm-hmm. it's so hard to get back onto that highway. And you feel like you have to backtrack too many miles And many people are just not willing to do that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But we want to get that tool to be sharpened enough that we can lead through conflict Mm -hmm. and capture those disappointments and those discouragements in the early stages before they lead to distance and discouragement. You know, that's relating to me. Ladies, I I believe it's probably relating to you as well. Uh, I'm a Scandinavian, so we are very good at sweeping things under the rug and pretending it never happened. And I know that um, Joel... But you love social distance. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a and, and I'm thinking, you know, um, spiritually, you distance yourself from people, oh, not you just do. physically, yeah. you know, when things like that happen. I mean, how many of you ladies get in an argument with your husband and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm leaving the room. That's it. I'm not talking about it. And then you walk away and you're discouraged and you're frustrated. We are going to make this into two parts because there's so much to talk about. Um, and so with those... Uh, D's that we talked about, Joel, you have an axiom that I absolutely found astounding. Uh, astounding, And you said, conflict is good. Yes. And you asked us to say that conflict is good. <laughs> Tell me what on earth you're thinking about when you say that. Yes. I, this is an axiom I've had in my life for almost 25 years, shortly after starting Westwood, because I realized where you put two people in a room, eventually you're going to have some conflict. Yeah. Conflict is good because I think um, our first inclination is to think that conflict is bad. Conflict isn't always good, and conflict isn't always bad, but it's how we handle the conflict that truly matters. Mm -hmm. And when you think about your life, usually some of the best growing seasons come out of seasons of conflict, especially if you can get on the solution side of it. I mean, you can learn lessons the hard way by not resolving conflict and say, I'll never do it again that way. But it's really when you lean into it and begin to discover new ways of being and living by getting on that solution side of conflict, you find healing, hope, a strengthening of character, and a greater ease. Because Mm. I believe Jesus called us to be front-door conflict managers. Mm. What does that mean? Well, we tend to be side-door. I say there, you can ask yourself the question, am I a conflict um, avoider? Am I a conflict agitator? Am I a conflict... uh, uh, what is it? The, the third one, I'm forgetting the one. Um, Am I a conflict resolver, avoider? Which is what I want to be. I don't want to forget the one that I want to move toward first yeah. and foremost. But a conflict avoider is the person who is really a backdoor conflict manager. Mm-hmm. They just they just disappear. My daughter was dating a guy a few um, years ago. And, you know, they were in constant conversation together, you know, for a couple of months. It was going well. And all of a sudden, he stopped responding to her text, stopped picking up the phone. And she told me he ghosted her, and I had not heard that terminology. <laughs> Tell us what that means in case my listeners well, don't know. You just disappear. You, a person and, and this gentleman, and I don't know, I don't know statistically, statistically if it's more men or women, but you just say, I guess this relationship isn't for me. And rather than resolve that conflict that created that distance that you feel, you just disappear. You get ghosted. And I think people who are conflict avoiders can ghost people in that relational integrity place and uh, – 
I just felt sick for my daughter who had to navigate that. But mm-hmm. then there's conflict agitators. I think there are people who delight in stirring up conflict. You know, I was going to mention that. There's some drama queens out there. Yeah. Like, I mean, we all know who they are. And one minute things are finally calm. I call it like the Tasmanian devil where they come in and stir everything up and then they walk away. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's just the person who stirs it up. They don't know how to resolve it. So they escalate it by what okay. they say or how they say it, the tone, the motive, whatever the case might be. It just We want to be about de-escalating the conflict not through avoiding it, by learning through it. Mm. So we want to move toward conflict resolution, and I think that's what Jesus wants for us, to be front-door conflict managers, that we go through the front door and we deal with the reality that's before us. And we don't avoid it, and we don't try to agitate it further. We try to step into that's it. That's key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the goal. And so the Bible speaks pretty poignantly about how you become a front-door conflict manager, and that's where I went in the message that I gave recently in the church family. It's something that I've taught really all 25 years we've been at Westwood mm-hmm. um, with staff, with interns. We do it as part of our orientation, how sure. you manage conflict, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's such a need today. We don't know how to do it, so we go through the side door, and we bring other people into it. We mm-hmm. go to the water cooler, and we escalate it. We make the problem bigger than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You talked about the California wildfires. I thought that was an awesome illustration. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the idea that, you know, the if you look at the California wildfires, they're historic this year. It mm-hmm. started with one main fire, but then all these other fires pop up, and firefighters have a hard time keeping up on it. And I mm-hmm. think it's the same way with conflict. When we don't go through the front door, we spread that. Mm-hmm. So it's like wildfire and it starts to take over and it demotivates anyone from trying or wanting to get on the solution side of mm-hmm. it. It feels bigger than we can handle. So we just don't handle it. There's your D again. We just yeah. distance and detach and then eventually divorce or walk away from mm-hmm. the relationship. So I walk through seven practices of conflict resolution that I think come, well, I know they come right out of the scriptures that give us that God advantage. And we want to see that tool sharpened in our relationships. I love it. Start sharing with us, number yeah. one, if you would. I'll I can't it. wait to get into it. I know. I know you do. You love to step in and well, see Well, I don't like the conflict, but I like the solution. Yeah. <laughs> the first one is you versus them. Um, actually, try that again. It's sooner versus later. That principle um, is about managing conflict quickly. That the longer it continues, the greater potential of it escalating and become bigger than it needs to be. So much so that sometimes you forget what the conflict is about. Mm-hmm. The peripheral issues start to stand out so much more than the core issue. And uh, Matthew 5.23, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Mm-hmm. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I think that's powerful because Jesus is prioritizing reconciliation. Yes. That there is a direct correlation of relationships gone wrong and how it affects our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So you come bringing your offering gift, you know, and you know, obviously there's an ancient practice of bringing your gift as a point of cleansing mm-hmm. at the temple, and that that's part of how you get to be set free. And he's saying, no, you get to be set free by abiding in my presence and obeying my directive. And if there's an offense that's been committed against you, you go and deal with that first Mm -hmm. and you put it in the right place and then come and bring the offering and you'll find what freedom really looks like. Well, you know, this verse speaks to me. As a matter of fact, um, a couple of weeks ago before, actually it was before your message. So I thought the timing was ironic. 
Um, I was reading this verse with my husband. We do devotions every morning. Shout out to my lover, Blair. It's the most romantic thing ever, ladies, to do devotions with your man. Anyways, uh, we were reading through Matthew in, in this very spot, and something had happened with a member of my family where my feelings were hurt, um, and they weren't reaching out um, to apologize. In fact, they were avoiding the whole entire thing. And as a Scandinavian, I just wanted to sweep it under the rug, but I know otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so I walked through the front door of that conflict, called that person up, and said, I love you so much. Let's talk about it. And they wouldn't pick up the phone. And they're avoiding me completely. Mm-hmm. And I do feel strongly that it's really important. There's also a scripture that says, don't let a bitter root grow. Yep. And that was eating at me as well. What do you do, Joel, if the person won't engage in the situation? Yeah, that's, you know, I think about Paul's exhortation to do not let the sun go down on your mm-hmm. anger. Now you're in a place where you want to bring resolve to it yourself, but it takes two, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, forgiveness takes one, reconciliation takes two. Mindful of the verse in Romans twelve eighteen, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Mm-hmm. That there are times when we won't be able to come together, but the text says we're to take the high road. We're to go above and beyond, even if we feel like we were the ones who were wronged. Mm-hmm. And that as much as possible, we are, as much as it depends on you, do what you can. To live at peace. Mm-hmm. So once you've done what you can do, you can be set free. And I think that's an important principle for us because sometimes when people are non-responsive, they're trying to create guilt, shame, or they may not have the tool set to know how to step into mm-hmm. it or what to say. Mm-hmm. Once you do get through, I love you so much, as you say, yeah. come, let's let's talk about it. I think she could have been embarrassed, too, over how it went down. Yeah. And, you know, ladies, if you're just listening, I got the pastor with me, Pastor Joel Johnson, and we're uh, talking about the subject, did I just say that? Own your words. I'm so excited to have him on here. Uh, we're talking about the struggles and the challenges of conflict and Joel says conflict is good. So we're going to continue on that. So, Joel, let me ask you, if someone isn't getting engaged with you, isn't going to engage with you, how does prayer play a role in this circumstance? Well, I mean, prayer is always the gateway mm-hmm. to the presence of the Lord to meet you where you're at. So you have a sense of well-being in terms of your course of action, but also wisdom. I always say wisdom is the gift to know what to do, where to go, what to say, and how to say it. And that comes from God. So mm-hmm. prayer is what opens ourselves to be receptive to the presence of the Lord. And Shug, you know this because I have a prayer that I've been praying now for 20 years in the morning where before I turn on the lights, I get on my knees and I have a simple prayer because I don't break, carry up. I don't take care of any personal matters. I just roll out of bed mm-hmm. onto my knees because posture matters. Mm-hmm. I start my day. One, I'm breathing. So I have a day to be grateful to God. Praise God for that. Yeah, thank God for life today. Mm-hmm. And my prayer is the same. It's brief. It's a centering point at the beginning of my day. Lord, thank you for life. Let me be who you want me to be. Let me do what you want me to do. Let me go where you want me to go. Let mm-hmm. me say what you want me to say. And then how do you want me to say it? Mm-hmm. That's always the big one for me. There's a lot of things I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But to ask for the way of the Lord in it. So I think prayer is a, a simple way to open up the gateway for the wisdom of God to help you know how to let your lips move mm-hmm. and how to direct your feet and where they should go. Mm. It's a real powerful um, advantage that we have to be in conversation with the Lord. We're always wise to start there in every kind of conflict. Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen uh, the power of prayer where someone has called me up and said, 
uh, you know, I just got done praying for this person, this individual. This was a different circumstance. And all of a sudden they call and they say, I can't stop thinking about you. We need to talk this through. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, I that's like what that. God does. Yeah, he does that. He it's does so that. cool. More times than not. Yeah. I have a, um, a practice called a three-day rule. Um, it came to me, actually. I was invited to go and stay with some friends out in California for three days. And I said, well, I'm going to be there for a week. And they said, no, just three days. I said, well, <laughs> why only three days? They said, because fish stink after three days. There you go. Yeah, so too much time in one space, you know, it can create issues. But I thought about that a lot. They go, yeah, you know, it's conflict stinks too. Yeah. And it's one of the discerning elements. When do I discern when to bring something up or not mm-hmm. bring it up? I mm-hmm. think that's a discerning question. It's a big thing. Yeah, you can bring up stuff every day over little annoyances. Yeah. When does it become big enough? The three-day rule is if I go to bed and wake up the next morning, three mm-hmm. days in a row, thinking about that same conflict Mm. it's time to walk through the front door not to talk to everybody else to go through the front door Mm -hmm. that has been a really helpful practice through the years and i'm sure you're assuming we're not going to walk through the front door explosive we're going to go prayerful we're going to go in loving kindness and we're going to approach that in a much um you know basically we're jesus with skin on we're getting the love thing right through all of this yeah Yeah. um we have just a couple minutes left um the first thing you mentioned was sooner versus later uh, you gave us Matthew five twenty three. Yeah. I love that. The five D's, disappointment, discouragement, distance, detachment, and divorce we talked about. You pra- talked about practicing the five-day rule. Um, share with us a few more uh, tools that we can have in our toolbox. You mentioned seven of them. I did. Let and, me cover a couple of them. For and then you. we'll get into the second part, and we'll uh, talk about the rest oh, of them. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second principle is you versus them. And I think this one is really difficult for us because we tend to deflect. I call it the Adam and Eve complex. And the reality is when we find this sin enters the world, it's because the forbidden fruit was eaten. And God said, don't eat of the forbidden fruit. And they did. And Adam and Eve both went into that territory. God Mm -hmm. confronts Adam with it to begin with. And Adam did what every mature man does. He blames Eve. He doesn't own any of it himself. Uh, I mean that facetiously, of course. But the reality is we deflect. It's the blame game. Mm -hmm. And you can't get on the solution side when you enter it into that way. Jesus gave a hard directive on this in Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? He's just making it clear Mm -hmm. that before you start judging it's so we're so quick to judge others first he says stop pause pay attention to yourself i put a mental checklist together on this one because it's a discipline of the mind and the heart Mm. this is not easy to Mm -hmm. do but we have to look in the mirror before we start pointing our finger at someone else i'll just briefly state the questions for you have i dropped the ball it's an introspection um question related to awareness am i aware of the conflict in the fuller measure, or am I just seeing a narrow look of the person and Mm -hmm. going that direction? And secondly, have I owned my piece of the conflict or am I blaming? Um, A wise friend of mine taught me many years ago that conflict is never a hundred zero proposition or rarely. I own something in it, even if Mm -hmm. it's 1%. Mm -hmm. What is the 1%? I've got to look into the mirror. The third is, do I have the facts right? Because assumptions and presumptions create hearsay, and hearsay escalates the conflict. And then finally, am I trying to power up so I can have the advantage? Mm -hmm. There's something in us that wants to win arguments. Whatever it is, we want to have that power up. But Jesus taught us to power under. He washed feet. We are Mm -hmm. foot washers. Mm -hmm. So we step into a whole different um, territory. We're contrarian that way as Jesus was. Mm -hmm. We power under. We don't power over. 
I love that, Joel. And, you know, these are all words of wisdom. And, and in the book of James, it also tells us when he, they talk about trials of many kinds that we need to ask for wisdom. And if we ask, God will give generously without finding fault. But ladies, if you doubt when you ask God, you're no better than the waves being tossed back and forth in the sea. Joel, I am so thankful here. I knew there was so much meat here. I can't wait for part two. Ladies, you're going to have to listen next week for the second part of it. But really, I want to talk to some of you out there who don't know who Jesus Christ is. Is God kind of knocking on your heart, saying, I'm here, I'm waiting for you, and I love you so much? Ladies, would you open your ears to that? Would you just get on your knees, like Joel said, in a posture of surrender and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Ladies, we can't have any of the self-control through the Holy Spirit without Jesus first being in us. And the prayer is simple. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Three simple words, ladies. You are saved. This is Sugbury, Him for Her Radio, Women's Hot Topics. You know I love you over and out. <laughs>